15. Very famous story this morning. The story of the prodigal son. Now, but before we get to the story of the prodigal son, there's a couple other little stories that go before this that build a very, very nice picture as we get ready to go to, through this. I absolutely love this message. I think there's so many neat points in here. And I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. So let's do the smart thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. We're thankful for the time to be here. We pray, as always, you would teach and we would listen. And let your spirit guide and direct in all truth. In your name, amen. Alrighty. With that being said, let's jump right into this. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. Now let's just stop there for a second. Last week we talked about the idea of salt. The last couple of verses in Luke 14 talks about salt. And we talked about how Jesus said, We're the salt of the earth. And what that means and what that represents. As salt, we hopefully create a thirst for others to come know Christ. We add a flavor, a seasoning to life and the joy that we live and walk in. And that salt is a preservative. This world is dying and falling apart. And we have the answer in the gospel of Jesus to preserve them in truth. There was something about Christ that people wanted to be around. I firmly believe if we could go back a couple thousand years ago, when you met Jesus, you would be drawn to him. There was a joy, there was a presence about him. And I see these passages and I think, Lord, I want that. Not a fakeness, but an honest-to-goodness heart, an honest-to-goodness joy of where whoever you are in life, wherever you're around, people are drawn to that. Too often we see Christians walking in this defeatist mentality and this down depression discouragement. We have joy. We have the Lord. We have salvation through Christ. So no matter how the world is falling apart, there's always a joy to us because we know the end, we know the answer, and we know Christ. Jesus had that joy about him. And he didn't have a bad day because he always knew who he was and where he was. Now, we have bad days. We're human. We're not perfect. But there needs to be an underlying joy in all that we do, and that draws people because we have the answers found in Christ. So Jesus here, you see him, people are drawn to that. And who's drawn to him? Sinners, tax collectors, horrible, heathen, awful people. You ever notice when you first get saved, you don't have a problem with sinners? Because you just got saved and you realize grace and you realize what God's done for you. But it's amazing, after you walk with the Lord for a while, we do everything we can to keep ourselves away from people like that. Because it's not a good influence on us. It's not a good influence on our kids. I don't want to be brought down by that. So what happens then as a Christian, we build these walls around us and we don't allow any non-believer in because we don't want to be stained and tarnished by it. Now listen, I'm not saying you go down to that level, but there's an element of realizing the reason we're here is to be a light and a witness to people that aren't saved. We're not perfect, we know that. But there needs to come a time when we allow ourselves to be drawn. I should say they're drawn in, we have a chance to share the gospel with them. Once again, you don't go down to a level you're not supposed to be. Just two quick stories on this. We used to teach a Bible study in McClure, going back now about 16, 17 years ago, and I remember there was this one guy at the Bible study, the way he was going to reach people... He made it very clear he was going to go out and listen to all the secular music and watch all the secular movies. So that way he had stories and was able to relate to them. And I remember telling him, saying, I just don't think that lines up. I, you know, this is not a message on secular music, secular movies. But I said, you don't, you don't want to bring that into your thought life, into what you do, just to be able to relate to them. And I remember another story. I went to a Bible study over at Bowling Green College. It was a really neat study 
And it was like a lot of neat fruit coming out of it. And I remember talking to the pastor one time. And he said he had this idea that he was going to start doing. They were going to start listening to the radio and find the songs that were popular on the radio. Then they were going to start playing those songs at the study to bring kids in. And then he would base his message off the lyrics of that song and why that song was bad. And I said, that just doesn't seem to make sense. Once again, as believers... We don't put a wall up around us to say, I can't be around non-believers. Because we're supposed to be lights and witnesses and always say and do. But I'm just going to be honest with you. If you don't have some type of protection in the Lord and you surround yourself with people that aren't walking with the Lord, you've got to be careful because they can also bring you down. Jesus was able to draw them in, be a light and a witness in all that he said and did, and was able to impact them. That's what we need to do. We want to impact people that are not saved, rather than us being brought down. Now, what does he do when he gets them all together? Verse 3, he teaches them. How boring. Do you realize that? Anytime Jesus got a group of people around, what did he do? He taught. Because there's power in teaching. There's power in presenting truth. What did Jesus teach them? Let's find out. Verse 4, what man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. So, this is a great story. This sheep, one wanders off. He leaves the ninety-nine behind. He goes to find him. That's the type of love we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have that desire and that love to see people grow in the Lord that we notice. Who's missing? You know, as the church over the years here has grown numerically and, you know, there's a couple services and stuff, it's, it's easy to start seeing people almost be lost in the shuffle. Part of a body is realizing who's here and who's not here. Who's the person we haven't seen in a while? Who's heavy on your heart that you need to say, I need to go talk to them. I need to go look for them. I need to go search for them because it's heavy on my heart. And you notice who's missing then and you say, I want to go help find that sheep. That is hopefully the desire we have. To be quite honest, we normally don't do that. We normally come in, sit roughly in the same spot. Listen to worship, listen to the announcements, a little bit of fellowship, listen to the message, a little more fellowship, and we leave. We look at church as, what do I get out of it? Where really we're supposed to look at church as an opportunity to say, how can I minister to others? And I encourage you, when I look at this parable, and I look at this story, start coming in with the mindset of, who haven't I seen in a while? Who's been missing? Lord, who's been heavy on the heart? I tell you, what Rich and I do is we take the directory and we pray over the directory. We look through each name. And say, okay, let's pray for this person. Because you care. You want to see where that lost sheep is. And then when that lost sheep comes back, what do you do in verses uh, 6 and 7? You rejoice. You rejoice because that person is back where they're supposed to be spiritually and growing in the Lord and seeing changes. And there's an excitement there. Why don't we do that? I think the reason we don't do it is verses 4 and 5. We go into the wilderness, we have to look for it, and verse 5, we find it, we carry it back. It's a lot of work to care for people. It's a lot of work. It's easier to come, check in, check out, and go home. It's a lot harder to come and say, I want to get involved in people's lives. 
I want to get involved. And as I get involved with it, I want to carry that person. Now, I'm not saying carry that person like you're spiritually responsible for them. That's the Lord. But I want to carry that in the sense I have a responsibility to see them go deeper in the relationship with the Lord. And I want to help with that. And I want to keep them close. How close? Verse 5, he puts it on his shoulders. I want to keep that close. That to me refers to accountability. I want to be in your life. I want you to be in my life. I want to say, you know what? That person's heavy in the heart. I'm going to call them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to write them. I'm going to say, hey, I got some time this week. You want to get together and grab a bite? Because I care for you, and I see you starting to wander off a little bit. And I don't want that to happen. Once again, why don't we do that? It takes work. And some of us don't want to get close to people. We like the distance thing. I don't want to hear the dirty secrets of your life. And I'm not going to tell you the dirty secrets of my life. So we're just going to show up at church, smile, pretend everything's okay, and then we'll just look at each other. And in that way, when either you disappear or I disappear after a while, no one's really hurt or bothered because I was never really close to you to start with. If you want to see people grow in their relationship with Christ, you've got to get close. It's ministry. It's work. It's work to go find that sheep that's lost. And a lot of times we just don't want to do it. And the other thing is, we're talking about sheep. Now, we've all seen the picture of the um, shepherd carrying the sheep on their shoulders. And what a neat picture that is. The little lamb across their shoulders and the shepherd's carrying it. And the shepherd's always smiling. Always smiling. Always has a really nice trimmed beard. I mean, it's just a really great picture. Now, I've shared with you before. I grew up with sheep. We had sheep growing up. And I've told you before, sheep are adorable. But they're also dirty and disgusting, oily, smelly animals. And this idea of taking a sheep and throwing it around my neck, it looks good in a printed 5 by 8 but in honesty, that's gross. There is a closeness of when you get close to somebody, it's going to get dirty. And that's sometimes, I think, why we keep our distance. God, help us to notice who's not here, to notice the sheep that's wandered off. God, help us to get involved in other people's lives, and people get involved in our lives when they see us begin to wander. Two quick verses on this. Two quick verses. Go to a James 5, please. James 5. Let's talk about this idea of accountability and closeness and a responsibility we have as a body. We are all responsible to the body to see them grow. There's a little phrase we like to use out here that we stole from a book that says, Every member is a minister. That word minister means to just serve. Too often when we say minister, we think solely of the pastor. The Bible says you are ministers. You are called to serve. You're serving the body of Christ. So as a minister to the body, sometimes we've got to look past ourselves and say, who's hurting? Who's missing? Who needs love? Who needs attention? How can we help with this? James 5, verse 19, please. It says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. What a blessing it is to be involved in someone's life spiritually where you see them start to go the wrong path and you meet with them and get together with them and you have a tiny role through the Lord to say, wow, this person's back on the right track. I rejoice in that. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of accountability. It's difficult to do. One more passage on it, if you will. Go to Galatians, please. Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, we care about the body, 
We're willing to leave the 99 behind to go look for the one. We're willing to contact them, get involved in their life, be close to them, help keep them accountable. We're willing to do that because we care, and I hope they care about us. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If I see somebody wandering, I have a spiritual responsibility to go to that person and say, Hey, I haven't seen you as much as I used to see you. Are you doing okay? I have a responsibility to go to them and say, You know what? Boy, when you and I used to talk, you used to mention the Lord all the time. You used to tell me what you're reading and what you're praying about. I just haven't heard you say that much lately. Now, you may be saying, well, that's your job. You're the pastor. No, that's the heart of Jesus. It doesn't matter what your title is. That is the concern that we should have for everybody within the body. So the first parable that Jesus is trying to show us here is we need to sometimes leave the 99, go look for the one, because we care for them. We're involved in their lives, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving way we care, and we care enough to get involved and go look for them. What's the next story about? Verse 8, please, back in Luke 15. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's three points in this story. The first point you see when it comes to this is, number one, women lose things. That's the first point you see. Next thing you see... Our women are materialistic. She just wants money. And the third point you see is women talk a lot. And those are the only three points to say in verses, yeah, thank you, 8 through 10. If you want me to repeat those, I can. I can give you the notes afterwards. No. why does it specifically say it's a woman? I think it specifically says it's a woman. This is my personal opinion. Take it or leave it. It's usually the woman that comes up. It's usually the mother. It's usually the grandmother that comes up. And his heart broke over that child or that grandchild that's not walking with the Lord. It's not that the dad or the grandpa doesn't care. I don't want to make it sound like that. But it's the, usually the woman that comes up and says, I've lost the coin. Pray with me. Encourage me. Help me in that area. It's usually the woman that's burdened by the loss. See, this coin represents a person. She's lost something near and dear to her. And so she's heartbroken by that. Some people believe that this coin thing represents a marriage ceremony that was part of the Bible times, so it would be something that is part of her, her family. And it's usually the woman that's heartbroken over that. Once again, not that the men don't care, but it's the woman. So what she is saying in this story is that she cares so much, she looks, she searches, she looks for it, verse 8, and when she finds it, she rejoices. There is a joy there. And there's other people involved, praying and helping and encouraging. That's our job. The first story is about someone starting to wander from the truth. That we have a responsibility to go to that person and say, I'm concerned about you. The second one is about somebody completely lost. And we say, my heart breaks so much for this person. Would you pray with me for my child? Would you pray for me with my friend? Would you pray for me for my grandchild? My heart breaks for them. And when that person comes to know the Lord, verses 9 and 10, there is a joy. There's a joy. Look at the wording here. Verse 6. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. Verse 9. When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. 
Verse 7, it says that heaven rejoices. Verse 10, it says the angels rejoice. See, we care. When you are involved in other people's life, you care that their loved one doesn't know the Lord. Too often we see somebody come up and say, pray for my so-and-so. They don't know the Lord. And we sit there, okay, well, fine. I don't know them. Why would I care? Because you care about a lost soul. Or if we come up and we say something like, you know what? Uh, So-and-so that's been coming out to church here is really struggling. We haven't seen him in a while. Pray for them. You're like, well, I don't even know who that is. But we still care. See, this is the thing. Heaven rejoices when somebody comes back. What do we do? We judge. See, heaven rejoices their back. We judge. What, did you know what they did? You know, they've been gone for months. You know what they were doing when they were gone? See, heaven rejoices when they come back. We gossip. Did you hear what they did? Did you hear what they were saying? Heaven rejoices when they come back. We pick. Well, I wonder how long they're going to be back for until they just go do it again. See, that's human nature. We judge. We gossip. We pick. Heaven just rejoices that the one sheep came back. Heaven just rejoices that the lost coin is found. Help us to have that eternal perspective to realize what matters most is souls saved. That is why we are here. And help us, Lord, to see the one sheep that's wandering and to go help, to get involved, to be close, and to get dirty, be accountable. Help us, Lord, to see that coin that's lost and to search for it because we care. Now, that takes us to the story of the the prodigal son. This one's a little different. Why is this one different? Let's see, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them from his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together all, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, depending on your translation, with wasteful living, with riotous living. We got this guy. He... He's greedy. Spoiled. Now, when I say spoiled, I'm not necessarily saying that the parents did something wrong in spoiling, but he's spoiled with this mindset of he, he should get what he wants. And so what happens is he wants his inheritance. He takes his inheritance in verse 12, and he goes ahead and he just completely and utterly wastes it in verse 13. No wisdom, no nothing. And what happens then? It's gone. It's all gone. Do we not know somebody like that? That just kind of wandered completely away. I shouldn't even say wandered. They just left. Spiritually just left. So what happens? Verse 14, when he had spent all there, he rose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he may gladly have filled his stomach with the pots that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So he's at the bottom of the bottom. He's at the low of the low. You have to realize from a Jewish perspective here, feeding swine, being around swine, swine are are unclean according to the Bible. You you couldn't get any lower than this. Now, i got to be honest with you. Over the years, people come up to me and say, pray for my fill-in-the-blank. My son, my daughter, my friend, my neighbor, my spouse, whatever. They don't know the Lord. Okay, And they're going through a tough time. Oh, what's going on? Well, their, their, their job's falling apart, their house's falling apart, their life's falling apart. They're making dumb choices. And, and, and pray for them because they're really struggling. Now, depending on the situation, depending on how the Lord leads, sometimes I look at that person and say, you know what? I'm going to pray. It just keeps getting worse. Because sometimes we pull people out of the pig slop 
too early. And, and they're not ready to make changes. Because look at verse 17. When he came to himself. One translation says, when he came to his senses. See, too often we see somebody struggling in the bottom of the pig slop. And we say, they need help. I'm going to pull them out because that's the Christian thing to do. So I pull them out of the pig slop. And guess what? They get cleaned up. They come to church for a while. They get involved with a small group. And they jump right back in the pig slop. Why? Because they don't want out of the pig slop. We pulled them out. They still want to be in there. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is say, Lord, make their life so horrible and difficult they have nothing to do but to turn to you. That's a tough thing to pray, especially for a loved one. But if you want them to be changed, sometimes you've got to let them slop in the slop for a while. You do. I remember a few years ago, there was a situation where there was a woman from the community contacted us, never came out to church, in fact, never came at all once, but she contacted us, somebody through somebody through somebody said they can help. So she contacted us, she called and said, my son's having a really difficult time, a lot of tough situations in life, he really wants things to be different. Can you talk to him? I said, sure. So set up an appointment, she came out, the son came out, Rich, and all four of us sat in my office. So we started out, I looked at the son, said, heard you're going through a tough time in life, I heard you want things to be different. You know, what's going on? You know, how can we help? He goes, I don't know. She made me come talk to her. He didn't want to get out of the slop. He didn't think it was all that bad. Now, as a mom, she wanted him out of the pig slop. He, he was still pretty happy there. So then it turned into the mom. Well, he wants things to be different. He wants things to change. And it went on and on. And we realized very quickly into this session, the mom wanted things to be different and change. The son, he wasn't ready to change yet. So we flipped it around and we basically said, you know what, mom, I think you need to talk to a godly woman here. Hooked her up with a gal out here at church and tried to say, what can we do to encourage her? The son, he didn't want things to be different. She wanted him to want things to be different, but he personally was not ready for things to change. I tell you, you got a loved one that's not walking with the Lord like they should. you got a loved one that's really struggling. When are they going to get it right? When are they going to figure it out? Verse 17, when they come to their senses. You can get in there and you can pull them out of the pig slop. You can hose them down. I'm willing to bet in a span of a few weeks, a few months, they're going to jump right back into it. They will make changes and seek the Lord when they want to make changes. I get this all the time too. Hey, will you talk to my cousin? They're really interested in the Lord. They really want to grow and go deeper in the Lord. So can you call them? So I'll call them. If I get a hold of them and say, hey, I heard you, you really want to go deep in the Lord. Yeah, I've been kind of talking about it a little bit. I, I may pop over to church sometime. Listen, I, I don't have all the answers, but I've come to this conclusion. If you really want to go deeper in the Lord, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go deeper in the Lord. You're going to get a ride. You're going to go to church. You're going to want to read your Bible. You're going to want to study. You are going to personally desire to do it. You may not know how, and that's our job to help you, but I can't make somebody else desire God. And if you have a loved one that you desire to go deeper in the Lord, if you have a loved one that every now and then makes these comments like, I don't want my life to be this way, this is not how I want it to be, you have a loved one in the pig slop, and until they want to get out of it, just let them sit there. Yes, that is a difficult thing to say, but that's the truth. This older son, excuse me, this younger son had to reach a point of where he was completely and utterly broken. And when he was completely and utterly broken... That's when he decided he wants things to be different. You can't make your spouse 
want the marriage to change. You can't make your kids want to make better choices. You can't make that co-worker want to know Jesus. You can't. They choose to do it when between them and the Lord, they choose to do it. So he came to his senses, verse 17, and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father's, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He repented. He wants to be restored. It hit him. And when it happens, it's a beautiful thing. I tell you right now, I love my wife. I love we're married. I love my kids. There's a joy. But I'm going to be honest with you. There's a joy that's nearly right up there when you see somebody legitimately get out of the pig slop and want to come to know Christ. When you really see it happen. And you stop and you say, wow. God is still in the business of changing lives. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. This son, getting up, he gets his speech prepared in verses 18 and 19. I'm going to go tell dad this. Verse 20, he arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father Solomon had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You've heard me mention this point before. I can't disprove it. If you can disprove this, please tell me. But I heard a pastor say one time, verse 20 is the only time in the Bible you see God being in a hurry. In this parable, the Father is representative of God. And this is the only time you see God being in a hurry. Verse 20, He runs to restore His child. He runs to accept the repentance of His child. He runs to bring His child out of the pig slop. Because that's what God does. When we're ready to make peace with the Lord, when we're ready to repent, oh my goodness... God runs to us. So, he's got his little speech prepared. Verse 21, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he interrupts him, forget the speech. Soon as the father heard, I have sinned against heaven and your sight, uh, I don't care, you're home. Yeah, you were wrong, you know you're wrong, now let's restore you. Isn't that a beautiful picture? See, too often in Christianity, this is how we look at it. Oh, you've stumbled and fallen back? You've been away from the Lord for weeks, months, years? Okay, you better start calling back right now. It's going to take you a long time to crawl back to Jesus. And you better crawl back so low and so humble. No, come right back. Be restored. Be forgiven. Be a child of God. It's a beautiful thing. We're the ones that make people crawl spiritually. Somebody's been gone for weeks, months, years. They come back to church and we sit there and we're hesitant. Because I don't know where they've been. I don't want any pig slop on my hand. So, let's see you come for a while. Let's see you get involved for a while. And then we'll rebuild a restoration process. And then we'll see where God's going. Because once again, heaven rejoices over your return. But we'll judge first. Lord, help us to be like the Father. Boy, I'm just glad you're back. Amen. Good to see you. So what happens? Verse 22, the Father said to his servant, bring out the best rope, put it all in, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. See, that represents restoration. See, as a son, he had a position of authority and a position of power. The ring, the best rope. Servants didn't wear shoes. Sons did. There's restoration. I, I have known people that have made dumb choices 
spiritually. They wandered away. And then when they come back, people want them to jump through spiritual hoops. Where really what you see in verse 22 is an immediate restoration. Now, I'm not saying that immediately they go back to maybe serving and doing what they did. But they're back. And let's just love them and have them back. Verse 23. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. One translation says in verse 24, And so let the party begin. I like that. Boy, Lord, help us. Help us to rejoice when the sinner comes back. Lord, help us to rejoice when someone is restored. Lord, help us to rejoice when the one sheep that wandered is now found, when the lost coin is found, when the prodigal decided to get out of the pig slop. Help us to rejoice. See, this is one of those times where I wish we could just stop the study right at verse 24. But we can't. Because the problem is, this is other guy introduced in verse 25. You've heard me joke before about the oldest child. And guess who the problem is once again in verse 25? The oldest child. Oldest children are always a problem. I'm just telling you right now. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, Your brother is common because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. Verse 28. He was angry when not go in. Now you know I like to pick on oldest children. But I, I got to defend this guy here for a little bit. He's out there working in the field. He's faithful. He's diligent. He's doing exactly what his dad wanted him to do, what God wanted him to do. He's out there working hard. He comes back and, hey, what's the music for? Hey, there's a party. Your youngest brother's back. Was the oldest son invited? No, not yet. No one came and got the oldest son and said, hey, stop your work. Just, just come hang out. Your younger brother's back. No one did that. I mean, you, you could sit here and say, well, wait a second. This is not fair. The world stops turning because Joe Schmo's back. I'm still out here working diligently and no one cares, no one understands. you got to remember, this is an individual response. The oldest son, his individual responsibilities to the Lord was to work in the field and to work diligently for his dad. That was his responsibility. The younger son is back, and that relationship with the dad was a party. See, this is what happens. I get frustrated when I get my eyes off my personal responsibilities in the Lord and on somebody else. So I get frustrated when, Lord, I'm working diligently in the field for you. But yet I see this other person over here, and they're wandering from you. They're not, they're not focused on you. They're not working hard for you, and they're getting blessed. I'm struggling with bills and finance and work and job and money and relationships and health. I'm struggling with that, and they're wandering away from you, and look how great they have it. I'm personally responsible to work in the field that God gave me. I'm not responsible for what's happening in someone else's life. I have responsibility to encourage them and help them, but I can't allow what's going on in their life to bring away my joy. Too often in Christianity, we allow someone else to dictate our joy in life. So what's the oldest brother's response in verse uh, 28? He was angry and would not go in. Boy, it still happens today. 
Well, you know what? If they're going to be there, I'm not going to be there. Yeah, I know what they were like. I know what they did. And now all of a sudden they're back and we're supposed to think and forgive everything that happened and just pretend that didn't happen. No, I'm not doing that. That person needs to know what they did was wrong. That person needs to know that what they did, that person needs to crawl back to Jesus. And when he crawls back to Jesus, then maybe we'll let him in. No. The oldest brother should just rejoice that the prodigal son was back. The oldest brother should just rejoice that his father is rejoicing. Very simply put, the father represents God. If God's rejoicing, I should probably be rejoicing. If God's bothered, I should be bothered. So if God's not happy about it, I shouldn't be happy about it. So if God is rejoicing that the younger son came back, I should put aside all my personal thoughts, opinions, and rejoice with my father in heaven as well. Keep it simple. The oldest son, he's too angry. What was he angry about? Did he not get enough attention as a child? Was he afraid he was going to have to split the inheritance one more time? Was he upset that he was working in the field and he didn't get the invitation? I don't know what he was upset about. And I think it's kind of purposely vague. Because the truth of the matter is you and I all struggle with things too. Let's be honest. Sometimes we hold little grudges over people. And we won't go in. Well, if they're going to be there, I'm not going to be there. If that's the way they're going to be, I'm not going. Oh, we've got to let it go. Let's just be happy the prodigal came back. So what happened in verse 28? He was angry, would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, note, not my brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. Isn't that interesting? I think I get to choose who my brother and sisters in the Lord are. I don't get that power. I get to choose when the party happens. Nope, God chooses when the party happens. I think I get to choose when I get to rejoice. God says, I'll tell you when a good time to rejoice is. It's not about me. Verse 31, he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. See, that's the goal. Let's just rejoice that that person that was making choices that were not appropriate, now are making good godly choices. Let's rejoice that that person who was wandering from the truth is now back to the truth. Let's rejoice that the prodigal that was in the pig slop is now out of the pig slop and fellowshipping with believers. Let's just rejoice. Exactly as verse 32 says, they're dead, now they're alive, they're lost, and now they're found. See, verses 4 through 7, that's easy. That's the little sheep that's wandering off, and it's, it's our job to go get them and say, now listen, that's not a good choice, that's going to hurt you. And they wander back, and we say, oh good, let's set up accountability, and let's meet a couple times, and let's encourage each other. That's, that, that one's kind of easy. Verses 8 through 10, that one's easy. Oh, your child, your loved one, your friend that didn't know Jesus, now they know Christ. Amen. I rejoice with you. I've been praying for him. Prodigal son, verses 11 through 32. Boy, we get hard-hearted on that one. They chose to go in the pig slop. He chose to waste his life. He chose to make those decisions. You want me to sit here and feel bad for him? You want me to sit here and rejoice for him when he brought this on himself? We've got to be careful we don't get that mindset. Look at the reaction of God the Father. Runs for restoration, 
forgives and celebrates their back. That is what matters. Let's not be the oldest son. Well, if she's here, I'm not here. If he's here, I'm not here. Let's rejoice that the lost has now been found. Let's put this all together. I don't know where you're at personally in your walk with the Lord. I hope you're not the prodigal. If you're here today and you're the prodigal, I hope you want things to be different. And if you do, we are willing to help in any way possible. I can't stress that to you enough. Maybe you're the one sheep of the 99 and you just find yourself starting to wander. You're getting into things you shouldn't get into. You're doing things spiritually you shouldn't get into. Come back. Come back before it's a problem. Maybe you're the other one. Maybe you know one of the sheep that wandered off. And you're saying, you know what? I have a loved one. I need to go. I need to go to them and say, I'm here. I care. I love you. I'm going to call them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to email them. I'm going to write them. I'm going to visit them and say, I care enough about you. to say, spiritually, I think you're going down a dark path. And I don't want you to do that. Yeah, it's going to be an awkward conversation. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. But it's our spiritual responsibility to care for those that are starting to wander. Maybe you got a loved one that's just completely lost, verses 8 through 10. Boy, we'll pray with you for that. And we'll rejoice with you when they come to know the Lord. Tough one is maybe you got a prodigal. They're, they're in the slop. And you so bad want to go pull them out. You so bad want to make them make good choices. Remember verse 17. But when he came to his senses, they have to choose to want it. And when they choose to want it, we are there fully ready to restore and to move forward. But until they choose to want it, we just can only pray for them. Isn't it interesting in this story? Verses 4 through 7, we leave the 99 and look for the 1. Verses 8 through 10, we stop what we're doing and clean the whole house to find the coin. Verses 11 through 32, the younger son leaves and what does the father do? He chases after... No, he doesn't chase after him. He waits. He just waits for the prodigal to come home. And when the prodigal comes home, he restores them and loves them. Each situation is unique. And i got to be honest, there's times out here at church over the last 13 years, you look and you say, you know what? Probably should have went after that one that left. There's probably times I should have let that one go because they were a prodigal. There's probably times we should have looked a little harder for the lost coin. Each situation is unique. And Lord, give us wisdom on how to respond to each person in each unique situation. Marv, we're going to come forward here for the final song. As he's coming forward, let's pray for this. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to know how to...